Father in heaven, it's truly a privilege to be in thy house in this day. And Lord, as we even arrived this morning to the sunshine outside, Lord, our, our hearts were warmed to know that we would be here fellowshipping with one another and experiencing fellowship with thee in thy word. And so, Lord, we pray in this day as we would look into your word that your spirit would give us specific instruction that's needful for our, our individual walks and even our collective walks as a family of faith together. Lord, we pray for the many who can't be with us in this day, um, recovering from illnesses and surgeries and, and all kinds of various different things. Lord, we're, we're thankful that we have the ability to still be with them, even maybe watching virtually or um, however they might receive thy word in this day, Lord. But we're, we're thankful that we still have that privilege and we have the, the blessing of that technology. But Lord, we know that in loneliness, um, there are many emotions that are felt there as well, Lord, and we pray that thy spirit would be with them, be with them and encourage them and give them particular strength in this day as they would meditate on thy word as well. Lord, speak to us now as we open these scriptures and give us inspiration for where it's needful. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to turn with me to book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. We looked uh, here at chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago and thought that it would be, uh, be good to continue. Um, you might remember at the outset we, we kind of talked about how this letter was written by Paul to a group of believers that he'd never met. He'd never been to see um, that they had been given instruction and teaching by, you know, disciples of Paul's, but this was some place that he, he likely would never see. And he was also writing to them about some um, teachings that he knew were coming or had already started coming into the church and was, was seeking to warn them and give them, um, I guess, not, not really a shot across the bow because it's not written in that kind of a tone, but give them a harsh warning as to what might be coming, and then also to encourage them as to their relationship in Christ. And the, I think the words or the phrase that we used a lot the last time was the sufficiency of Christ. And as I was reading on over the last couple of weeks and um, thinking about this, there were some thoughts that came to mind relative to um, how, we, how we perceive our our walk and how we perceive our, our, our Christian walk. Um, let me, I guess I'll ask it right from the beginning. When you identify yourself, let, let put it, we all identify politically one way or the other. Um, and how, how do we identify ourselves, right? Do we say we're a conservative? Do we say, well, do we say we're a Republican or we're a Democrat? I don't want to show hands in here. I have a general idea where most people stand. But when you talk to someone on the street and you say, are you a liberal or a conservative? Um, it's, those are divergent positions, right? Somebody's on complete opposite sides. It's, all, it's rare that folks nowadays would call themselves a centrist, like somebody in the middle of the road. And even as I make those statements, even as I like say these words, I can tell people get uncomfortable. 
right? Like it's not the kind of thing you want to talk about. Because how many, it, you almost use the phrase like, well, how many liberal friends do you have, Tim? How many conservative friends do you have, President Obama? How, we, we don't, we're on such opposite sides of every, of every topic, of every spectrum. Nobody can be in the middle. And we were having a conversation this morning. Says it's a really uncomfortable thing sometimes when you're on when you feel you are the liberal person on one side and you're the conservative person on another side, and you wonder how can that actually be. And what really struck me as I was reading these these verses here this morning was the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of people who have influences coming from two completely different sides. And what he was trying to tell them, and we'll see this, is the sufficiency of Christ and saying, stand here right on him. Stand in the Spirit right here. And it won't matter what all the other winds are doing. And the winds back there a few thousand years ago are different than the ones that we have today. But I think you'll see that these things and these influences come very much the same uh, style. So, now that I've put everybody on edge a little bit, I guess. Let's read in chapter 2. It says, for I, would, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them of Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also Ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith and operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it, un took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made an, a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of any holy day, or new moon, or, established, or of the Sabbath day. Where are a shadow of thing, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, 
vainly puffed up by fleshly mind, and not holding the head, which is all of the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will-worship and humility, and neglecting of the body, but, in, but not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Read all of, all of chapter 2. So I, I don't know how well um, I articulated this last time, but the influences that they had at the time, or at least what scholars believe, is that there were these two um, predominant, I guess I'll, I'll use that word, two predominant waves that were coming in. You had the, the Judaizers, who in this part of the chapter we can see um, were suggesting that all of these different Jewish things uh, of, the, of the old law still needed to be applied. The reference of touch not, taste not, handle not, all of those things were, were being pushed on them, that this was something that they would need to, to perform still. And on the other side, there's the, the group of Gnostics, I think is the way you say that, that just generally speaking were in into a more mystical or um, philosophical approach. Uh, I, I, I get the tone of almost thinking about something like the Greeks, where they wanted to talk about and philosophize about every new thing. And so in terms of you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, you have these folks that are being pulled on, on, on either side. And in chapter 1, Paul kind of talks a little bit more about the, the Gnostics and recognizing that you don't have to philosophize and look for some other interpretation of what Christ's ministry was, that your sufficiency is in Christ. In chapter 2, in the second half in particular, he, he tries to, to describe more clearly and, and emphasize here that all of these things that the Jews would be asking you to do, these, these pieces that you would have to add on to and maintain and, and work yourself through are, are really not necessary. And in fact, they take away from what you've learned from the beginning. And so, just to break it down and, and read through some of these things in particular. He, right in the first verse, wants to emphasize to them that the burden that he has, this stupendous struggle is the way that I think the Amplified uses, uh, that I have for you, that I haven't seen you in the flesh, but I want your hearts to be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches and full understanding, full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of Christ and of the Father, and of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In a world and an influence where they were being told that they had to dig deeper and that they had to find, you know, that there was there were all kinds of new enlightenment were new enlightenment were coming out. He, he centers them right back to the foundation of you understand, you know from the experience you've made with Christ that all of those treasures, all that's necessary for us, all that could ever be attained is here hid in Christ. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. You know, that these philosophers are going to come and, and be able to flower up the message so that there is some extra thing that 
will draw you away and, and ask you to, to change that which you have believed. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. This is an important one to me, because when we read some of these passages, and even like the reference to the fact that this is to be read to Laodicea as well, you know, we hear Laodicea, we think lukewarm, we think revelations, we think this is a church that's failing. So Luke, their referenced here, I automatically get this impression that, you know what, there must have been a problem. They must have been in real trouble already in Colossae. But Paul points out here, he says that they are joying and behold, we rejoice and joy in beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As I was looking into this, one commentator noted that that's, that's a military um, kind of reference. That it's, it, it was trying to describe the rigidness that they were taking, the, the rigid position that they were taking in trying to defend the faith and being um, aware of these influences that were coming. That what Paul was writing to them was not necessarily something that they were unaware of. It wasn't that they didn't know that there was some kind of influence that was being pushed upon them, but that he wanted to encourage them in that fact and was acknowledging right from the beginning you're doing a good job, but because I can't be there to encourage you personally, I want to do it directly here in this letter. And so then here's his, his, pointed, his pointed call. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The same way that you found faith, the same way that you came to faith, that's how I want you to walk. That's how you need to walk. It's not a unique call that he's made. Um, try to find, I made a note here. Second Thessalonians. He uses almost the same, same words. But if you think of where Thessalonica is, you get the same, likely the same influences that would have been there. Second Thessalonians 2. 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You know, I wonder sometimes why he had to make that emphasis so much. And why I don't feel like I have to make that emphasis in my life that much. Was there that much more influence back then than what we have now? Was the influences of the early church, were the influences around the early church any more powerful than what we experience today? I don't think they are. I don't think they were. I think that we've probably been desensitized to a lot of the influences around us. We've been desensitized to the fact that there are so many things that weigh on, our, um, weigh on our consciousness, weigh on our perception of the world around us. We, we talked 
a couple weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, Brother Hans was sharing with us in the afternoon about um, being involved in, in, in the town square, I think is the way he said, you know, being, being involved in the town square and, and have, pursuing our influence, making our influence more impactful on our, the world around us. Um, I'll confess that, hasn't, that hadn't been my thought. I thought just by virtue of me walking around in my town square or in my office that just my influence would ooze out of me. Well, things ooze, but not things that people would really want. And so if that's not happening, if we're not being influencers around us, then what are we being influenced by? And the Apostle Paul was telling him, he said, you know, where you've received Christ, the same way that you've received him, in the Spirit is the way that I want you to walk. And then he, he adds to that, being rooted, so anchored in what you have been taught, then built up and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I, I, wonder, I wonder what that looks like. What does it look like to be rooted in our faith? I mean, I, I think we, we all know that, right? But just to try and articulate it. Being rooted in our faith is, is understanding where it was foundate, founded from. Understanding what our relationship with Christ is about and where its foundation is, is anchored. I'm using the same words again here. Even Friday evening, Good Friday evening, as we were looking into the Word and, and I'm still struck by and, and moved by this thought of the thief on the cross. And I, I, I keep going back to this. Living in the peace that that thief had after Christ had confirmed his eternal reward. There were no other influences that that man was going to feel beyond that night. The, he was still in his pain. He was still in the agony of there of hanging on the cross. But the peace that he must have felt... To know that today you'll be with me in paradise. When I think about my faith's roots and, and being rooted in my relationship with Christ, this, I'm, I'm not talking about it in terms of this physical building, that baptismal pool. My faith, that is foundational to it. But the anchor to it is that relationship with Christ. It's the redemptive work that he did in my life. That's the foundation Unfortunately, the pull that the Jews were trying to put on the church was, no, 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 the foundation of your faith is going to be these things that you put to it, that you practice and you do these things correctly, do them in the right way. That's the foundation. And then the Gnostics were pulling to the other side saying, well, the foundation is in the experience. And it's in the philosophy. It's in the ever learning and never coming to the knowledge. of. It's, it's in the movement side of it. And what Paul was trying to tell him is like, no, no, no. Understand where the foundation of your faith is. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then he warns them. He warns them of the influences they're going to see. Beware, lest any man should spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men... One side, or after the rudiments of the world, the other side, and not after Christ. 
For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Bodhead, the Bodhead godly, the Godhead bodily, excuse me. All the fullness that we can seek to, all the fullness that we know and we desire to experience is contained in the Godhead. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. There isn't anything that we can add to this relationship that comes from the outside. The one phrase that I had found, I, I can't claim it, I don't know who wrote it, but it says, you can't perfect with the flesh that which was begun in the spirit. You can't perfect with the flesh anything that was begun in the spirit. There is nothing of this earth, nothing of man's um, concoction that we can add to our faith that will perfect it. That will br- there are certainly beautiful songs are written and we sing those. They're an encouragement to us. They're an honor and glory to God and they grow our relationship. Certainly. We are in beautiful buildings that allow us to fellowship together. The building doesn't add anything to our faith. The communion together strengthens our faith. The exercise of our worship together strengthens our faith. But the physical things that we do, the physical places that we go, the things that we do are not those things which, which add to our faith in strengthening it. In 2 Peter... 2 Peter 3, no, 2, excuse me, no, 1. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things that he's asked us to add to our faith, I love the... You know, people will say how Peter and Paul contradict each other, but in this, they are so in, in lockstep. These things that are to be added to our faith, clearly fruits of the Spirit, clearly things that would, would be examples of the Spirit's working in a believer's life. And so if we're called to add to our faith these things, where do we find them? Where do we find the exercise of these things? We find them in the exercise in the Spirit. We don't find them in seeking some other kind of interpretation. The, the part that has really struck me here is it scares me. I mean, I'll just be honest. Sometimes I wonder when I, 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 see, I see some of the things in, in the world around us, I talked, I won't do it from the pulpit here because 
or live stream. But I told you about the book that I saw in the library when I was with the kids a couple weeks ago. And it scares me when I see that kind of a thing. And I realize that that's the kind of influence that's around. And it scares me when I see folks that I wouldn't otherwise expect to embrace those kind of things, embrace those kind of things. And then I question to myself, not I question myself, I know where the influence comes from. I can see it in the world around me. I can see all kinds of things. Just open up the, the paper, paper, open up your homepage on the news and you can see where, where these non-biblical influences come from. And then my question is, how much am I influenced by them? When I see others that I wouldn't expect to be influenced and pulled towards those things, I make a judgment. Good, bad, or otherwise, I make a judgment. But I don't often enough, and now it's starting to be more as I look at those that I have influence over, I start to have to look and wonder, what have I been influenced by? How much of this world has rubbed off on, rubbed off on me? In the past, I would have called myself the one that, I would have been on the conservative side, right? I'm the uptight one, you know, I'm the uptight one. In my group of church friends, I was probably the, the conservative one, the more uptight one. In other circles, I was the more liberal one. And now I'm a dad holding on for dear life as I see the world pulling things apart one way or the other and wondering, where should I be? Where should the influence be? And that's where I can take such comfort in the fact that the Apostle Paul and Peter are saying, stand right here. If the world is pulling that way and the world is pulling that way, stand right here. It doesn't matter what the influences are doing because the influence that I'm supposed to be finding in my life and promoting to the world around me is this. As the Spirit divides the word to me, not just as a minister, but as the Spirit divides the word to us as believers, how are we applying it to our lives? When it says, as you've received the Spirit, so walk ye in him. That translations, and, and talk about that as, as far as traditions. I think uh, where I was reading it in, in Thessalonians, Paul actually uses, as you've heard it from our mouths and read it in our epistle, this is how we want you to do it. And we could be really uptight and say, listen, that, so that, that means that our walk and the way in our practices and traditions should look exactly like they have for the last 150 years. I don't think that's the case. Things change, times change. Musical instruments change. Like, thankfully, we have an electric organ now. We have a piano. We might have an electric piano here at some point. It's okay as we, you know, we, we do things differently as time progresses, but we don't do this differently. This is exactly the same. At some point, me wearing a, this very familiar, I realize I have a lot of blue checkered shirts. Uh, this came up this morning. Apparently, I like blue checkered shirts. At some point, this would have been no good to wear at the pulpit. I appreciate that it's okay to wear at the pulpit. Me not having a tie on one Sunday or having a tie, that would have been no good at the pulpit at some point in time. 
But this has to be consistent every single time. But in this world today, that's not the case. They might as well take a buck knife here and cut out the parts that they don't like. You know what? I don't like that piece that talks about whatever. It doesn't... Pick whatever piece it is. It, everybody's got their hot button. You could drive down the street and say, this is the church according to the interpretation of, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like the third thing. This is the church of the interpretation of everything goes and everybody's going to be at the gates of glory together. We know that's not the case, but we still have this anxiety about how to share what our faith is. How to share, just share what it says. As the Spirit leads you, you know, I, I, this week, this week, a friend of mine, you, you all know, we do lots of work for the Catholic diocese. And a friend of mine um, who champions himself a progressive, there will even add another descriptive piece to what people can be, champions himself a progressive, had to go meet with uh, I won't say what the, the priest's name, but somebody I, I really respect, one of the priests in the local diocese. And the priest was telling my friend how he has had many folks uh, come to him looking for advice on transgender issues. Comes to a Catholic priest asking him about transgender issues. And the priest said, first, I love you. But you know I can't tell you what you want to hear. And my friend was real frustrated about that. I mean, how can a church not move with the times? I'm like, dude, this is the Catholic church you're talking about. Like, talk about a, a slow-moving thing. You think I'm slow, and you think I'm not progressive. This is a slow-moving animal. I said, but what is my favorite part of what he told was, first of all, I love you. But it doesn't change, in, in my mind, it doesn't change what this says. In the same way that sinners came to Christ 2,000 years ago with all kinds of different things, he loved them, but didn't change what the word said and what truth was. And so I might be the guy that's on one wing of the party on this day and one wing of the party on this day. But as long as I am standing dead center in the middle of his word and as the Spirit's direction, I should be able to be comfortable. Not comfortable. I should be able to stand confident. I'll, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll share it. Going into, going into the last presidential election, there was a guy that I wanted out of office, well, there was a guy I wanted out of office more than just about anybody else. And I was super excited when the poll numbers started showing that this man was going to be run out of town. Sorry. <clears throat> And then on election day, he won just barely. 
and it's Joe Manchin from West Virginia. And I'm, I promise this isn't going to be political. Well, I'm more political today than most days. But I, I wanted that guy out so bad because I thought this is the chance that the Republican Party can take over the Senate and Biden won't get to do anything that he wants to do. I'm so glad that that guy got reelected. I don't care about his politics and his particular policies and things like that. It doesn't matter right now. But I saw an interview where he was asked, has your party left you? And his comment was, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know. I know I'm exactly the same I am today as I was 10 or 20 years ago. That's what I want to be able to say. That's what I want my walk to be. Not to say that I'm the same, but that the foundation of my walk is the same. Because we're still supposed to be rooted and built up and grow, and we need to add to our faith knowledge and virtue and all of these things, temperance, patience. All of that has to be added to us. But if it's added to us, or if it is... If it is added to us on a foundation different than where we started, then we've got a problem. Our relationship with Christ is not one that should see us. Certainly there are times when things need to be pruned and we need to grow in different areas. But the foundation has to stay the same. The God that saved the Colossians a few thousand years ago is the same God that saved me 20-something years ago. And it's the same God that, God willing, will save my kids and their kids. Because as he created them, so he will save them. And the same way that the influences 2,000 years ago are... The same way? In the way that the influences 2,000 years ago are completely different than the ones we see today, they still pull on the same foundation. They still pull us away, or desire to pull us away, from that place wherein we have found faith. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, one, am I recognizing those influences around me? And do I have the confidence to release them and the faith to rely on the Spirit's guidance in my life? Do I have the faith to surrender to the Spirit's working in my life? That seems like a really simple question. It seems like in a dull moment. Do I have the faith to surrender my life to Christ so that I can allow him to direct my path? Sure I do. Yeah, no, of course I do. Then why do I get so nervous? Or not nervous. Why do I get so influenced by trying to shore up the edges? Or trying to make sure that maybe, is this being done right? Is that being done right? I'm not relying enough on his direction in my life. I'm not relying enough on the sufficiency of Christ. That book in the library scared me. But you know what? There were books in the libraries in Colossae, if they had them, that probably scared them too. The question shouldn't have been, certainly we need to be involved and make our influence felt as much as we can. But then go home at night And recognize that these things rest in the Father's hands. If I do, they do. We live in a different world than when I was a kid. Um, 
you know, I remember when people started getting stressed out about uh, big white vans driving through neighborhoods and there were kids or people that were going to pick up kids. And I don't think my, I remember my parents saying, well, we didn't grow up in a world like that. And now I'm telling my kids, well, I didn't grow up in a world like that. It's the same God. His power and his sufficiency is exactly the same today as it was back then. My question, or the question that I have to continually ask myself is, am I relying on him enough? Am I surrendering him to enough? Am I trusting him enough? And I guess lastly, not forget what Peter's direction was, is that we, we don't just sit here. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, you could sit and watch the world go by, and frankly, if you leave your TV on while you're doing it, you put yourself into a whole world of hurt as to how bad things are. That's not what we were called to. That's not what the, the, the church fathers called us to. It's not what God called us to. He said, add to your faith. Okay, let's do it. Let's add to our faith knowledge, or virtue, and then knowledge. And I won't get them all right in order. Patience and temperance and all of these things. I've got to be active if I'm doing that. I have to be exercising myself in the vineyard. I have to be moving and, and using the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit that have been bestowed upon me, not by anything I've done, but by gift of the grace of God. And if I can do that, that's when we'll find a peace. That's where we'll be able to live in the peace that that thief had, knowing that today you'll be with me in paradise. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. But in the meantime, our paradise starts here as we have the benefit and the blessing and the treasure of being his children and and experiencing his peace. May the Lord bless these few words.